breaking stigma, redefining masculinity, and spreading education. My guest today is on a mission to improve mental health. I'm Callie Youngstrom, and this is Keep Yourself Well. Angelo Sison had quite the journey to his career path, but in the end, it was a real desire to understand the human mind that led him to psychology. He says he's dedicated to helping people struggling with depression, anxiety, OCD, addictions, self-esteem, stress management, life transitions, grieving and loss, relationships, academic stress and management, but also helping men who, through a lot of cultural stereotypes, tend not to ask for help with these workable issues. Let's get into it. Hi, Angelo. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Callie. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me. It's uh, it's a pleasure. So Well, it is an honor for you to make time in your schedule. You're a busy person and desperately needed by so many I feel like now more than ever and so if you've never listened to the podcast I always kick off with the loaded question of how do you keep yourself well <clears throat> both having a afternoon coffee yeah, so that's for of- sure oh, that's a loaded question um so I guess in regards to all that uh Callie uh just a bunch of different domains right so physical activity just doing a hypertrophy program right now. So upper lower split, and then just throw in some arms here and there. So four to five days per week uh, is kind of that right now. Uh, In regards to sleeping, I try to practice what I preach in therapy. So try to get a good solid eight hours. Um, And then some other things, Uh, I guess every year I uh, try to make it a new year's resolution and try to gain that consistency with mindfulness. So I'm back at it again, uh, implementing some mindfulness uh, practices and meditations uh, every day, uh, and then doing some mobility and stretching and some yoga work, um, and just reading a book dedicated to psychotherapy every month. So that's kind of how to keep well in a nutshell. Yeah. I like that. All of the various pillars. Yeah, of course. So... Okay. As a psychologist, what is your thoughts on New Year's resolutions? I feel like we're still in January. It's still relevant. Obviously, it's something that you implement. Do you feel like that tends to be successful for people that you see in your line of work? Well, I think the research indicates that no, most of uh, New Year's resolution goals tend to flop, right? But I'm not trying to be a pessimistic or uh, whatnot in regards to New Year's resolutions. Uh, For However, for myself, I love making goals in terms of kind of like that reset process um, throughout every year, kind of uh, end of reflection, you know, towards like December, seeing what went wrong, uh, some mistakes, but also being compassionate uh, to myself, kind of some learning lessons here and there. Uh, and then also kind of being proud as well in regards to maybe some achievements um, and some future aspirations. So in regards to making New Year's resolutions, I'm a big fan, right? But it's also not for everyone. Um, And of course, it doesn't have to be right in the new year, right? It could also be in whenever you want it, essentially. Um, So yeah, that's kind of it in regards to my stance on New Year's resolution and uh, goals in that sense. I appreciate that you used the word compassion because I... I'm a big goal setter and I'm a like, you know, set it so lofty that if I fail, but get close, 
you know, it's still a success. You know, if my goal is mo- meditate every day, for example, you know, maybe I don't get every day, but I still hit more days than I would have had I not met that goal. So, you know, mm-hmm. call it a success. Do you think that the people who are not successful in following through with New Year's resolutions would not be successful no matter the season? And it just happens to be the approach to goal setting and you're starting at the beginning of the year. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I tend to kind of circle around the, the uh, approach of uh, humanistic um, psychology. And so that pretty much means, you know, I'm pretty optimistic in regards to whoever this individual that we're talking about is right. That there's always room for growth right? There's always room for like more compassion. And there's always just more room to kind of give yourself that kindness, but at the same time, providing that balancing act of pushing through and trying to overcome certain adversities or certain challenges, right? Um, And Kelly, I'm kind of interested in regards to kind of your story, um, in regards to, you know, being a successful entrepreneur and, and wellness coach and whatnot. And being so, you know, go, 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 uh, as uh, as most entrepreneurs are, I'm wondering, how did you start to kind of implement self-compassion? And, and was it kind of natural for you? Um, because sometimes with like high performers and, and people that are in this space, right, it's just, it's, it's very much like, okay, my self-worth is based on my productivity. It's based on my achievements, my external validation, right? Um, and you don't give yourself that break. So I'm, I'm kind of wondering, what's your story? Mm-hmm. Oh God, I feel so seen. Yes, that would be an accurate judgment. I think I had to learn the hard way a few times by like really burning out, you know, that constantly putting my self-worth into like new accolades and new achievements, you know, was eventually not sustainable and also put my self-worth, you know, outside of me and like solely on my doing. And it also led me to not necessarily pursuing things I was passionate about. I've talked about this on the podcast many times. I found myself in this place of I'm passionate about being successful. Didn't really matter. Not that it didn't matter, but if it was something I thought I could do well and like bodybuilding, for example, I was an IFBB. Mm -hmm. I don't think I was ever particularly passionate about bodybuilding or even enjoyed it all that much. I enjoyed the success that came with it. So retiring from that after, you know, going hard for a few years, I forced myself to stop competing in anything. I stopped training in ways that were solely for aesthetic purposes and tried to really like step back and just, what am I doing when I'm just existing? Not with this like huge goal in front of me. So taking a break from actively pursuing kind of the next thing for a minute was helpful for me to take a step back, just be with myself. And I think I'm starting to find the balance. You know, I am still a very success driven person and I want to achieve certain things and that will always be a part of it, but just, you know, enjoying life and, and finding that balance. And honestly, like the, obviously I've only been here for a few months, but taking this time in Nicaragua and kind of seeing a side of life outside of the traditional North American lifestyle, which is so goal and production oriented, it's been very helpful for that. Uh-huh. Was uh, was the self-compassion aspect and when you mentioned taking that, that step back, right, and distancing yourself from the productivity and kind of this achievement, 
were you kind of like gearing and kind of getting ready for anticipation for like the next uh, thing that you wanted to do? Because sometimes it's kind of hard to grasp, right? And such as myself, it, it took a while to kind of give myself, to give myself that space and kindness to just, you know, just relax, right? And be okay with it. New year, new adventures, new goals, same great experience at Sweet and Sprouted. As the winter season unfolds, immerse yourself in the delightful world of guilt-free indulgence. Embrace cold weather and cozy vibes with Sweet and Sprouted's delectable treats, thoughtfully crafted for those living the low-carb, low-sugar, and keto lifestyles. Your taste buds will dance with delight when you dive into decadent desserts that align with your nutrition goals. Adapt to cooler days ahead by exploring their curated selection of snacks, seasonings, fresh goods, and energizing beverages. And don't forget the convenient on-the-go snacks to take along on your hot holiday, helping you stay on track no matter where you are. Visit sweetensprouted.com now and enter promo code wellness10 to enjoy an exclusive 10% discount on your order. Replenish your stock and explore new goodies. Again, that's promo code wellness10 at sweetensprouted.com for 10% off or just mention KY Wellness in store for 10% at the Saskatoon location. So I, I knew myself well enough to know that I would be like looking for the next thing. So I actually did well. So this is, it's a blurry line. I did a a 200 hour mindful meditation training course as I was taking this personal step back. So I guess, you know, I was being productive in that way, but more to learn about myself, you know, it wasn't something I was going to apply. And I gave myself like a minimum year of not competing not seeking. And then I actually ended up pushing that into like three years. So I think it was important to me to have a a long enough timeline that I wasn't just going to do the slingshot thing where it's like, I'm actually just preparing to go all in. Um, Yeah. But then I did, I think I was ready. I started competing in jujitsu and started my master's degree. So there was a level of, you know, creating the space for it. But I think with a much different mindset, you know, more, okay, I've had time to reflect on what am I passionate about? What do I want for myself? Not the, you know, kind of outer judgment of the achievements that I'm making, which I think had kind of trickled into my drive process. I love that. I love that. Like in regards to kind of uh, one of the theories that I practice, right, in in my therapy setting, um, I don't know if you're um, uh, aware of of acceptance and commitment therapy, uh, Callie? No. Okay. Okay. So essentially, I guess this this was brought up in like three years ago when I had first started, two or three years ago, I can't remember, uh, when my first semester when I first started uh, grad school uh, at McGill, right? Um, and the basis of this theory, well, there's a bunch of bases, is kind of this psychological flexibility, right? And how, how do we attain the psychological flexibility? It's, it's essentially being attuned to one's values, right? Establishing one's own sense of identity, one's own sense of moving forward with life, right? And so the acceptance comes with, uh, the reason it's called acceptance and commitment therapy is acceptance of certain situations, as in um, life struggles, right? Life's challenges uh, and so, and even emotions, right? That tends to be something that people deny, right? Or try to repress or remove themselves from being associated with, right? But what it preaches is essentially accepting all these things that happen to us, 
right? Um, uh, all these challenges, all these adversities, and all these in intense emotional feelings. Um, at the same time, we want to commit to the values uh, that we had set aside for ourselves, right? Despite whatever external or internal struggles we might be having. But at the same time, providing oneself with that self-compassion, right? And if it's one thing that I really want to get out into the world in terms of mental health is kind of this theme of self-compassion and just being kind to oneself, right? And uh, Callie, when you had messaged me a couple months ago in regards to the podcast about, you know, maybe doing a theme in regards to men's mental health, right? I think it's a huge issue or at least something that needs to be tackled, right? As in, hey, men, it's like, it's okay, right? Can you be kinder to yourselves? But at the same time, it's also kind of this message through, you know, mainstream media and um, our social environment, right? And, and Western culture is that, hey, you got to push through, you got to be tough. Um, it doesn't matter what, you know, what you're feeling, but in, in truth, it does, right? I could bring the research and, and the science in regards to all these things, right? And I think that might be impactful on how to get that message across, right? In regards to kind of it's okay to sit with your feelings and emotions and it's okay to be kind to yourself. Right. So I know I'm kind of like just rambling on here, Callie, but you know, these are just things that are kind of popping up into my mind in regards to all the kind of stuff that we kind of just discussed right here. Yeah. I appreciate that. And do you feel like you sense this shift coming with men's mental health? I mean, I feel like it's different for, you know, I am constantly absorbing mental health research and data so i hear those conversations a lot but yeah. do you think to the general public it's starting to become more accepted do you still feel like the emphasis really needs to be on pushing men to access mental health resources mm -hmm. i think as a whole there has been a cultural shift in less stigmatization with men's mental health right but at the same time there's certain demographics that still get caught up in the traditional uh, sense of mental or I guess masculinity right um, and so a couple of years back before I got into grad school and wanting to pursue becoming a psychologist um, I was a correctional officer and I wanted to pursue a career in policing right and so you know I, I really love all my co-workers uh, and the men and women that I worked with uh, in corrections right but there was a certain environments where um, traditional masculinity, um, and maybe even toxic masculinity, if you want to use that term, was really uh, felt and seen. Um, and so things like compassion, maybe things like in regards to mental health, depression, and anxiety, it, it was um, it was undermined, right? And it's it's quite undermined until the severity gets to the point of suicidality, right? And it's not until then where men and, and, and whoever, right? It's like, oh man, we, you know, mental health is kind of like the way to go. We should have talked more. Uh, we were, we should have expressed our feelings a bit more or, you know, just someone to talk to, right? But if it's at the severity or maybe the spectrum or level of just like anxiety or mild or major depression, right? It's like, man, just man up, right? It's just like, you know, put your feelings aside and get to it. Right. And so there's kind of like a lot of that in, in this space and law enforcement and first responders. Right. And um, with traditional men that kind of abide with uh, traditional masculinity and align their values with traditional masculinity. Right. 
So there's still, you know, some steps to be made, right? But there still has been a significant growth in terms of uh, mental health support and men seeking mental health support um, in this space. I'm glad to hear that. And but still that issue of it's almost reactive as opposed to proactive. It's taking getting to that point of, you know, suicidal ideation or really rock bottom versus, you know, being proactive. I think as you, you know, pursue any maintenance of health care, we should be pursuing mental health Mm -hmm. maintenance care, whether there's, you know, an acute issue or not you know, let alone waiting to the point of your experiencing, you know, feelings of anxiousness in mm-hmm. the correction space. Did you see them offering adequate mental health supports? I feel like, you know, from an outside perspective in many of those fields, you know, I work with a lot of first responders, for example, Yeah, the trauma support for these service providers is just not there leading to so many potential issues and in corrections and policing, you know, I can only imagine that level of trauma if you're not having active supports to manage that as you pursue your career. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess in the correctional institution, at least the one that I worked with, right, there was advertising, like, uh, like administrative um, administration, just saying, hey, okay, we have these support systems, right? Uh, You can use them and whatnot. Right. But I don't know or necessarily know if like they were used to the extent where it might have needed to be used by some of the individuals that I worked with or some of the staff um, or whatnot. Right. I think there's just such a pull uh, in that space to kind of compartmentalize and align with, you know, being tough uh, and putting one's feelings aside. Right. In regards to correctional institutions, first responding, um, there's a tendency to compartmentalize, right? Because in order to move forward, we have to put our feelings aside, right? And kind of go forward with the task at hand, right? Um, And and sometimes I think the issue here is that we don't come back to these emotions or these thoughts and process them in a way where it's like, okay, can I just sit with them, right? We compartmentalize them, we put them in a box, right? And we just lock it up and we don't even go back to them sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of at least one of the issues um, that I had seen, uh, from my experience, at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like the necessary ability to compartmentalize, to literally be able to get through your day at work, but eventually needing to deal with that, or then it spills over. And I mean, I don't know the research about this. I'm sure you do, but you know, it's no news. I think to the majority of people that there's incredibly high rates of domestic abuse within police force. And I wonder if that has, you know, something to do with it, this undealt with trauma, or is it certain personalities that are more likely to pursue that career path? Yeah, I think that that's, there's like, um, layers to, to answering that. And I'm not necessarily sure, like what the right answer is, right. But in terms of, you know, the research that I've seen and working with the men and, and uh, having that experience in history, right? We compartmentalize when it comes to, let's say, the job at hand, the task at hand, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes we still do this at home, right? In our, our like intimate relationships with our family and friends, right? Where we become stoic, right? And we don't um, 
express or regulate our emotions in a way to communicate them, right? But then on the other hand, uh, we have individuals that regulate their emotions through lashing out, right, or acting out um, in ways that might be destructive or be labeled as as negative, right, and uh, even abusive um, at times. So, so you started originally working with youth, right, before moving up into corrections. Yeah. So I imagine many of those youth had been dealing with mental health issues. Did you see a path where, you know, proactive interjection would just do these kids so much good and potentially, you know, stop them from progressing mm-hmm. into the corrections? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like when I worked at Ranch Erlo, uh, at this emergency receiving unit, like Rorison House, right? We had great staff there. We had great case management. Um, we had people trying to rehabilitate, heal these individuals, whether it be through, um, let's say, therapy, counseling, assessments, um, schooling, or whatever preventive measures, get, get being in touch with one's culture, right? All these things. And I think that is huge. That's significant, right? That's great. Um, but the sad reality is that what happens when they leave the group home, right? When <clears throat> after 16, they age out well, we don't give them the appropriate resources, or maybe at times we do, right? Um, But uh, they become more inclined to their normal way of life, which might be a household or environment filled with abuse, filled with trauma um, and whatnot. And at that point, it's like, where can we actually intervene, Mm -hmm. right? It's a a sad reality. Um, Yeah, it's a sad reality. Well, and so you're in Alberta now. You're in Cal- Calgary, is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So growing up in Saskatchewan, I mean, I think Calgary still has a very, you know, small town kind of vibe. Yeah. But did you do you see any differences in like the approach and, you know, decrease in stigmatization of men's mental health in like rural Saskatchewan versus the shift to the big city, because I think in rural Saskatchewan, you know, that's very so much still a huge issue. Obviously, we know with farming, for example, um, high rates of suicide, men not seeking supports, getting to that, you know, rock bottom place. Have you seen any shift in the rural communities versus the larger cities in that regard? Mm -hmm. Um, In regards to that, it's, it's hard to tell because to me, it's almost like Calgary to some extent is like a bigger Regina, yeah. right? Uh, it's, it's it's filled with uh, more traditional uh, conservative men. Um, not saying that's a bad thing, right? Um, but what I've seen with at least my time in, in Montreal, right? With a bit more mm. uh, liberal views and, and progressiveness in that sense, right? There's a huge, at least from my perception, uh, contrast between where I was living in Montreal for the couple of years and, and here. Right. Uh, where it's just it's easier to talk to individuals uh, like even at the gym. Right. About mental health and just hearing someone labeling or acknowledging, you know, anxiety, depression. I, I think that's a lot more prevalent, at least from my experience with like Quebec and Montreal, as opposed to here. Um, but then again, I'm, I've, only, I've only been here for like what, like since September. So. Yeah. Incredible. So how did you manage your mental health working through, you know, working with youth, working in corrections, and then even, you know, into your master's and now, because I can imagine it, 
is difficult mm-hmm. to navigate that as yeah. a you know practitioner yeah no that's i that's a great question because i think i navigated my mental health uh differently throughout all those stages and until now where i feel like i'm in a place where it's like okay i got all my shit like together i have like all the resources the education right and whatnot um but i'd like to label myself as quite uh um uh, like a high performer, like to some extent, like I, I, I love productivity. I like personal development. It's like a huge thing for me. Right. And so through, I guess, around corrections and I mean, youth care work and corrections, um, I think there was a bit of like compartmentalizing. I think there's also to some extent a bit of um, like a bit of dark humor that was involved uh, in order to kind of get through like the day's work. Right. Um so that was a bit of that. Uh, still, at, at times, you know, for sure, I tried to maintain an active lifestyle. Uh, and so I consistently go, like, work out, right? I would have different goals outside of outside of work um, to help me keep going, right? Um, something to look forward to, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think around those times, it was basically, you know, reading a bit of philosophy, like Stoic philosophy. Um, getting into a bunch of personal development books, uh, working out, sleeping well, and goal striving, right? Um, but once I got to my master's um, at, in Montreal, I think there was a huge shift there where I was able to be a lot more self-compassionate towards myself and understand um, some traits of perfectionism uh, and like outcome orientation versus process orientation. Right. Whereas for me, it's like, okay, what new goals am I going to have for myself next month, in six months, in a year? Right. And I'm like, when I get to this point of this degree or this second degree or this certification, um, I will feel content and I feel like I finally made it. But the sad reality is that, you know, you get to all these achievements and it's like, okay, great. Um, What now? Right. Like, I remember um, running a full marathon a couple of years, or in 2019. Uh, it was inspired by like David Goggins and, and reading his book, right? And so I told my friend, hey, let's go uh, run this marathon, right? Let's, let, let's kind of uh, align ourselves with like this mental toughness aspect and mental endurance and see how far we get. It's going to be a great achievement, right? Um, and so we finished, right? For him, it was great. For me, I had beaten myself up so much because I got it done in like, I think like five hours. It's, it's not that great of a time. Like I was cramping up, right? It was a terrible experience. Um, but to think back at it, uh, back at it, it's like you, you ran a full marathon. No, not too many people run 42.2 kilometers. But when I look at back at that event at times, it's like, man, that was, that was shit. Like that did not feel good. I was supposed to get like this, like a certain high of, of, of crossing the finish line. But man, I just felt like shit. Like it wasn't good, right? Ready to conquer the new year with endless energy and vitality? Empower your journey to a stronger you with Supplement World Canada. As we settle into the winter season, I know, let them be your guide to the very best supplements for your lifestyle. 
Their knowledgeable staff is ready to support your health journey year-round. Of course, they have a huge variety of low-carb and sugar-free options. From protein bars to energizing smoothies, your taste buds and your body will appreciate the boost. Indulge without compromise because staying healthy should never mean sacrificing flavor or quality ingredients. Discover their quality curated supplements designed to boost immunity, enhance workouts, and maintain overall well-being. But wait, there's more. Visit supplementworldcanada.com and enter promo code wellness10 to enjoy an exclusive 10% discount on your order. Why not thrive instead of just survive this winter season? What are you waiting for? Head to supplementworldcanada.com now and use promo code wellness10 to kickstart your journey to a stronger, healthier you. I mean, kudos to you for finishing, but I from my observation and personal experience, I think that's the, like, there's almost an addictive component in high achievers, not to speak for you, but where you keep waiting to feel that like, oh yeah, this was it. And then like, it never comes. And, you know, I have like a visual in my head of when I got my IFBB card, because I'd been watching, you know, pros for years, get their card for the first time. And they have like mm. the breakdown. They're like on their knees on nice. stage, the whole big thing. I got, they like raised my hand and I was like, okay, what's next? Like immediately was like, okay, what's yeah. school? No yeah. ethereal feelings, no like celebratory. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that uh-huh. me a lot about myself where I'm like, okay, then what is the thing that will make me feel that sense of pride? And I think for me too, it's been actually helping other people. I've realized that if my accolades and achievements come with helping more people, I get way more fulfillment out of it than if it's just something that's like so purely for myself. And Mm -hmm. so did you ever run another marathon? Oh, the thing I was going to (laughs) say was that I would love your psychoanalysis of David Goggins because Uh I love Yeah, He's Uh like... You know, some of it I think can be taken with a grain of salt. I think arguably some of his stuff could be considered toxically masculine and not be helpful for certain people. Like I think it's a specific subset that thrives off of a David Goggins style approach. Yeah. Okay. So to answer your first question, I don't think I'm going to run another marathon. I think uh, it was nice to experiment and try. Right. But I, I just like working out. I like building muscle, right. <clears throat> to some extent. So yeah, no, I don't think I'm going to run another marathon in regards to like maybe my uh, premature psychoanalysis of Dagan, David Goggins. Right. I wish I could kind of like sit him down and have like a one-to-one therapy session with him. Right. That'd be amazing. But he he's an, he still is an inspiration, right? In terms of that mental toughness and that mental endurance, right? And I'm like, man, this is, it's crazy to see someone have almost like this limitless potential, right? And kind of aspire to have some of that, right? But part of, you know, reading his story, it's like, who knows? Like, is he actually kind of like transforming and using like this trauma to be like a better individual and be a better person? Is this part of his healing process, right? Or is it more so avoidance, right? And kind of just this numbing with like all these ultra marathons, right? It's like, it can be numbing. Like it's almost like you get used to this feeling uh, which is associated with a bit of like PTSD and dealing with trauma, right? And so who knows whether David Goggins is running away from maybe 
being in touch and healing from his trauma, right? Or if this is actually kind of transformative and uh, healing for him. So who knows, unless you actually talk to David Goggins uh, in, in the therapy room, I don't know, right? One day, so. one day you'll have David Goggins in your chair. <laughs> for sure, yeah. And so what inspired you to make that shift from pursuing policing to psychology? Yeah, it's there's so many factors involved there, uh, Callie. Um, so like, I think this was back in 2015 or 2016, I have like a 10 year plan. So like a journal of all the things that I want to accomplish, like get into policing, right. Make the SWAT team, right. Or whatever. Um, and then get my master's and then become a psychologist and work with law enforcement with PTSD. Right. And so a lot of those things like did not happen. Of course, I didn't get into policing. Right. Um, and some of those things did happen. Right. So it was almost kind of like it was it was going to happen. Maybe it was just a matter of time sort of thing. Um, but what happened there was I applied to Calgary Police about th- three, four years ago now. Um, and I made it through all the processes, uh, the physical exam, the two interviews, the psychological testing um, and made it to the final panel. But it was at the final panel where I actually got deferred for two years, right? And so that was kind of a blow. I mean, I could have uh, applied to other places, right? Other policing departments, but I didn't. Um, And so I kind of sat with that and trying to figure out, like, what's next. And um, psychology was kind of on the radar. So I had finished, like, my honors in psychology, like, around that time as well. Um, And my supervisor's... Uh, kind of mentioned, why not try counseling psychology? Well, you know, try your luck, apply to McGill, see if you get in, right? We we feel like you're a good candidate. And who knows, if you don't like those two years, at least you have a master's, right? And you return back into applying to policing, right? Um, and whatnot. But uh, I ended up really resonating and aligning with kind of uh, doing what I'm doing right now, you know, providing therapy, providing counseling, it really resonates with who I am. Um, and I could see myself doing this for like the rest of my life. Right. So, yeah, it was kind of like a bit of luck here and there, um, but also kind of a bit of reflection in regards to like my own values. Um, and yeah, that's kind of what brought me to this point. Incredible. Yeah. It sounds like it was meant to be the uh, rejection is redirection. Approach. Yeah. I would love to know if you're willing to share how you manage that deferral, because as a high achiever, I can imagine that is something that's difficult Mm -hmm. Uh, when you are accomplished and goal driven and, you know, this kind of happens and it's out of your control. I think a lot of people can shut down, you know, or, you know, berate themselves and not, were you giving yourself compassion at that time? Or was that something that was difficult for you to move through? I don't think so. Not at that time. Right. It was like when I look back at uh, my experience and my past and that deferral, uh, I just finished at the gym. Right. And then I got to the car. I called the um, the, the policing recruitment officer uh, about the results. And uh, she told me what had happened and the reasons for deferral um, and whatnot. And then so I texted my girlfriend uh, that this had happened. And I remember I was like kind of tearing up at the time. I'm like, holy crap. It's like, how did I not get in, right? Like, I'm not trying to sound cocky or arrogant, but I'm like, how did I not get in, 
like the last 10 years of my life from like 2011 to I think 2019 or 2020 when I applied was in pursuit of wanting to become a police officer, right? It's like I abided by all the rules and laws, right? I had like two degrees under my belt. I was uh, working with the community here and there. Um, and yeah, just hearing that deferral, it's like, holy crap, like I'm, I'm not good enough still. Right. I'm like, geez. Yeah. That, that was, uh, that was a terrible feeling. Right. Um, uh, for myself. Um, and I didn't give myself any compassion, uh, until maybe the first or second semester, uh, of grad school. Um, and so that was like a year and a half later. Right. So, uh-huh. At that point, no. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was kind of beating myself up for a long time. Well, I feel like we're not taught how to give ourselves compassion unless someone's working with a professional like yourselves or, you know, has a very certain upbringing. Where Mm -hmm. does one learn how to give themselves compassion? You know, maybe we're given compassion by other people, maybe not. But I think very rarely are we kind of taught how to give that compassion. And I think likely even more so for young boys than turning into men. So, you know, when, when do you pick up this toolkit, if not for, you know, people like you and, you know, the conversations that you're having to start teaching those tools of compassion, because I think too, a lot of people could listen to that and say, okay, you know, that sounds great. Give yourself compassion. What, what does that mean? And how do I do yeah. How do I actually apply that in the day? Uh-huh. Do you have an advice, any advice you can share? <laughs> how does one yeah. give themselves compassion yeah that's great uh that's a great question because it's like it's so easy to say but it's almost kind of intangible to some extent maybe at first glance on like how do i do it right like do i just say like hey just be kind to yourself angela like it's all right like whatever right like it sounds <laughs> cheesy <laughs> right um but <clears throat> i think if you don't mind it's going to be a long-winded answer Please. Uh, here, Kelly. Um, so during my first couple semesters uh, at McGill, um, I was lucky and fortunate enough to have a great supervisor. Uh, his name is uh, Bassam Al Curry, right? And so he was a huge proponent of acceptance and commitment therapy, mindfulness, and self compassion. So the first semester I got in, and I'm like, there's like only two or three guys here. Right. I'm like, this is a very female dominated uh, like profession and, and cohort. Right. And I'm like, I'm not trying to say it as a bad thing, but looking back at it, I'm like, it was kind of like fighting against like that traditional masculinity. I remember being in class thinking, man, is this the right step for me? Like wanting to talk about emotions and feelings with a person uh, all day long. Right. Like, what are the people back home going to think of me? Uh, like, what are my, what are the boys going to think of me? Right. Are they, are they going to think that like, I'm cheesy, I'm, I'm, I'm flowery, I'm too soft. Right. So all of this was kind of running in my head. Um, and so there was like a lot of, uh, reservations and reluctancy to move forward with the program, uh, at times. And I'm like, okay, I'll keep going. I'll see like, uh, if I like it, maybe I'll just apply back into policing. Right. And, um, it, it was like a long process of uh, instilling self-compassion. So Basam would be like, oh, just be, you know, be kind to yourself, Angelo. It's like, you know, the world is not going to end if you make a mistake, right? And so 
every time I found a mistake in maybe some of our videos in terms of uh, our practicum uh, in regards to like, you know, uh, conducting therapy um, or something that I had said or had done, right? I had the tendency to beat myself up, right? And Basam would just come in and swoop in and he'd be like, hey, 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 just, you know, he has, he has like this gentle voice too, uh, very therapeutic. And he's like, just be kind to yourself, Angelo. Just take a deep breath. Like, what are you feeling right now? Like, what are you thinking? right? Um, just whatever, right? And so I'm like, okay, okay, thanks, uh, Basam. And, you know, it's like almost like these constant reassurance and these messages that everything will be all right, right? And so he provided this kind of space for two semesters until I moved to a different supervisor. Um, but it came a long way. And so he taught me a lot about self-compassion, um, meditation and mindfulness, right? Acceptance and commitment therapy and, and being process oriented uh, as opposed to goal or oriented. And so when I provide self-compassion um, as a, a recommendation or a discussion to clients, um, I kind of challenge them in how they think, right? As in like, okay, so you beat yourself up, you know, you made a mistake here and there, right? But it's gotten you far and it's gotten you to this point of achievement and and goals, right? And whatever. And like, yeah, it's great. It's gotten me to like so many different things. And I just simply ask like, oh, well, are you content? Are you happy? Right. Or do you feel fulfilled? He's like, no. Uh, or like clients might say like, no, it's not until I get here or there. Right. Again, bringing in the goal orientation and the process orientation. I'm like, <clears throat> okay, well, you know, there's other ways to speak to yourself and move forward, right? In a more psychological, flexible way, right? You could be kind to yourself, right? And give yourself these comments and still keep going, right? What you're doing right now is you're degrading yourself. You're criticizing yourself, right? And you're saying this is the only alternative route to moving forward and being successful, right? But at the same time, sure, you're going to be superficially successful, right? But at what cost, right? It's like, so then that's kind of when we bring in the self-compassion, right? Mm -hmm. And just internally talk to yourself, right? Internally talk to yourself as a, as a child. Would you say these things to a child? Would you say these things to your younger self? I'm like, no, there's absolutely no way. Like this younger version of myself was already like severely anxious and shy and, you know, afraid of the world. There's no way I would say any of these things, right? And so I preach all these things and... Even outside of my therapeutic setting uh, and in my like relationships, I always make sure to, you know, give out compliments, uh, build people's self-esteem, right? I try my best. Actually, yeah, I do a really good job of not uh, insulting anyone or saying like, <clears throat> or like highlighting their mistakes or criticizing them, right? And so it's kind of giving this, this message to others, but it's also kind of reinforcing it to myself. Ready to elevate your physical adventures this season? Element is the answer. The ultimate science-backed electrolyte drink designed to keep you at your best no matter the weather. Whether you're exploring the snowy outdoors, hitting the gym, or enjoying a brisk winter stroll, Element's scientifically crafted formula replenishes vital electrolytes lost during activity. It's not just for scorching heat, though you can absolutely pack it with you if you're going on a hot holiday this season. It's truly a daily hydration solution. 
including for frigid escapades. Say goodbye to sugary artificial drinks. Every sip of Element contains essential minerals, including sodium, potassium, and magnesium, but without the unwanted sugar. Visit my website, kywalness.ca, and click on the Element link under products to discover the power of Element for yourself. With any purchase, you'll receive a free sample pack to try and experience the revitalizing effects firsthand. Let's get salty. And I am sure preaching it all day is that everyday reminder to practice what you preach as well. Uh, yeah. Speaking yeah. from personal experience, uh-huh. especially like on the sleep, even the sleep side of things. Um, but that repetition you got from your supervisor, I mean, that's just such a simple, great example of how do we learn? We often learn through repetition and, and you know, mimicking and mirroring. So having this person constantly reminding you to be kind to yourself you know slowly mm-hmm. you start accepting that yourself and for your masters did you do a thesis component as well no there was no thesis it was a uh, like practicum ba- based i should say and so it was all about you know here's the course material right here's the practicum here's an internship you're going to build your uh, therapeutic skills uh in this space for the next two yeah for the next two years sort of thing so no thesis, yeah, yeah, no research. I mean, I think that's amazing for the style of work that you do. That makes sense. You know, I think there's a lot of, I have a little baby psychology degree and I, the path that I was on was very, you know, academia focused and it didn't necessarily make sense to me how they were preparing people for, you know, potentially clinical psychology because you were making these decisions to commit like the next, let's say five years of your academic life to some sort of counseling, but with no opportunity to work with people. And, you know, I, I understand why they were doing it ethically, but it also didn't make sense in terms of like truly preparing someone to be working face to face. Mm -hmm. So I am happy to hear that that's the approach because I can imagine that's Mm -hmm. more effective. And I know that something that you talk about is redefining masculinity. And so I would like to know, what does that mean to you? What would your redefinition of masculinity be? That's a great question because I think I have a great response to that. Uh, I think all of your responses are great, but yeah, so I will not be surprised. Thank you. Um, So again, this essentially aligns with acceptance and commitment uh, therapy. Uh, And I remember I heard this on either a podcast or a YouTube video of another like fellow male psychologist um, and his YouTube video was, I can't remember his name, unfortunately, but I think it, his, the title of the video was like what it means to be a man now, or like what's uh, what is masculinity. Right. And he, he says it in a way that's quite humorous. Um, and he says to be a man, you need a backbone and you need some balls. Right. And then so I'm like, okay, uh, I got both those things, uh, but how does this help me? Right. Um, But he goes on and says, in terms of backbone, he means um, integrity. It's like you need to have integrity. You need to have some sort of um, value system to guide your actions and behaviors. Right. Uh, More so men who align with traditional masculinity you're aligned with the message and the um, themes that you've grown up upon with, right? Like all these, um, all these values of being tough, being powerful, 
being superior, whatever you want to call it, whatever the traditional masculinity uh, themes are, right? And so you're abiding by those principles and those values. They're not necessarily your own, right? So, you know, to get a sense of autonomy, right? And a sense of uh, agency in your own being, develop and reflect on your value system. Like what is most important to you and how do you want to abide by this, right? Like, what are these things? Like, what are these constructs um, and concepts, right? For me, it's humility, it's compassion, um, discipline, uh, wisdom. There's some other stuff in there, right? Um, and so that's the backbone that he talks about. Uh, and that's the kind of the value system and acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, the balls, uh, what he says is, is courage, right? It's like, have the courage to be authentic, have the courage to um talk and discuss your values and align your behaviors uh with your values right despite what might people might think right of course there has to be a balance between um the expectations of others right and the expect expectations of oneself right but be courageous in de demonstrating and showing your values to the world your family right and and not hiding them right so it's a commitment to your values and, and having that integrity, right? And showing them and providing them to the world around you and the relationships that you have. I hope that makes sense. Brilliantly said. What a great definition. Well, and I appreciate yeah. you sharing that because, you know, I'm just thinking like the kids that you would have worked with at Ranch Ilo, for example, so many, so many people are just missing a male figure or any figure helping them to see those types of values. Right. And so, you know, we accept the values that have been passed down to us. And if we don't, you know, open a door to learning a different value set from somewhere else, you know, we are likely just to continue on that path that we've known because it's all that we've known, right. It's uh, yeah. not, not ours by choice, but not our choice, but our responsibility as opposed to like reflect on it and reevaluate. So I 100% that. 100%. Oh, thank you. And sharing. And, you know, I would love to know your views on social media as a resource for mental health, because I think, you know, a lot of people, you know, men, women, teens, everyone are, you know, kind of tiptoeing around mental health and absorbing resources and absorbing things and maybe doing the like, you know, stages of decision-making, pre-contemplation, contemplation, et cetera, mm -hmm. where are like not necessarily ready to sit down with a counselor yet, but you're listening to videos and, and watching things. Do you see that as a helpful tool and resource in your practice? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I think so. uh, here and there, I suppose. Right. Um, so for myself, uh, Callie, we connected through social media, right? And through like a mutual friend. And so in that way, it's a great tool in terms of developing um, the relationships with other people that are aligned with kind of uh, your purpose uh, and your values, right? And for myself, I'm a bit slow on my Instagram. And I definitely want to kind of make it a priority this year uh, to provide like free, accessible, like, um, psychoeducation, right? Education about mental health, therapy, relationships, um, the mind and the brain, right? So for me, it's it's a tool for me to have all the education that I had gotten over the years, right? And provide it out for free, right? Because I know therapy and I know 
like being in that setting could be nerve wracking. It can be expensive and it can be costly. Right. Um, but I want to help my community out and other people in different ways. Right. So, no, you don't have to sit down in, in my chair. We don't have to sit together in a session. Right. But can I help other people along the way? Right. Without them paying me. Right. Or without them being um, near me. Right. So, uh, at least I could provide a good message to um, other people or followers that uh, follow my social media. Right. Um, That's yeah. incredible. Cause I think that shows that, you know, it's your, your passion, right. Over just your paycheck. And I think this is the type of work you have to be incredibly passionate about it to, to do it and to do it well. So if you, have any advice you know we have a man in our life or anyone in our life for that matter that we feel is struggling with their mental health and you know hasn't necessarily approached us for help do you think that there is an eloquent productive healthy way to support someone and suggest that they get help suggest a resource because i think we have so many fears around having those conversations um i recently this past year did uh um a suicide talk training to learn, you know, how do you have a conversation with someone who you think nice. is considering suicide? And that was really helpful yeah. for me because it forced us to sit down and actually practice having those conversations using that word. Are you thinking about suicide? And, you know, things that mm -hmm. I feel like we just are so scared to talk about. So mm -hmm. how do we productively broach those conversations? I think that's exactly it. You like, you nailed it there. Um, Callie, like in terms of like the training and the education that you're providing, especially like with suicidality, um, people can sometimes have the tendency to think that if I ask about suicide, right, this will increase the the suicide risk, right, of this of this per person, the probability. I'm like, no, it, it doesn't, right? It's an honest, transparent question, and you might actually get something from them, right? They might hide it, or they might actually um, intentionally and truthfully tell you, right? The same thing goes for mental health, right? For um, men or any other genders, right? Is can we open up this conversation, right? And I think thinking about it in terms of like my own personal um, experience and relationships, it's hard. It's hard to talk to other guys, right? If um, you, you don't open up or if you don't ask that question, like even thinking about this question, even for me, Callie, like in terms of like maybe the boys back home or some other friends, right? Like, hey, are you doing okay? Like, hey, do you want to talk, right? And you don't know what you're going to get. And you don't know if you can handle that pressure or that intensity of what this person might say. So it, it can be scary, right? But I think we have to kind of jump over that hurdle, right? If we honestly care about the people that are around us, um, friends, family members, right? Like... <laughs> have the courage um, and the vulnerability to ask that question, right? Like, are you okay? Do you, do you want to talk about something, right? Um, what's on your mind, right? Um, and you might receive an honest response, right? Uh, in regards to what's going on with their life, right? It might be scary to handle another person's emotions, right? And that's fair, that's normal. Um, but I think what they appreciate is that someone had asked, Right. Seeing that someone actually cared opposed to, you know, just talking about um, video games or sports. Right. It's they're taking their time and effort to ask 
a serious question, right, about their life, mm-hmm. right? So simply asking, um, is, is everything okay, right, um, is powerful. Just do that check-in. Well, and what comes to mind is that kind of backbone and balls, like, at, you know, your value is friends and relationships and having that courage and confidence to, you know, ask the hard question. And, um, you know, hopefully with time, it doesn't feel like a hard question. It's just something that we totally normalize. And speaking of, you know, normalization and decreasing the stigma, you know, I think we're all familiar with campaigns like Movember, for example. Do you see or feel as though campaigns like that are having an impact? Do you feel like the you know, I think it's that like hard push for a month and then the conversation kind of lulls. Do you think there's still benefit to that? Mm-hmm. I think there is a benefit, right? Like, uh, I mean, you're advocating for men's mental or men's health, right? Um, and whatnot. And I think it's just kind of like, if we're working with um, like marketing, uh, advertising and kind of the psychology of like the unconscious, we need these repetition. We need these messages, right? Uh, moving forward, sometimes it might not get pro- be processed like consciously, right? But unconsciously, the message is going to kind of be there through repetition, right? So in a way, yeah, uh, I see it being uh, significant and, and a good way to go. Mm-hmm. And I know you had mentioned, you know, the cost of counseling. I I really feel like that's one of the limiting barriers for so many yeah. people, you know, even I pay, I'm an entrepreneur, so I pay for my own healthcare. And, uh, you know, it's one of the best healthcare packages that I can get as an entrepreneur. It gives me $300 annually for psychology, which is nothing, you know, really that's one or two sessions. And if you're seeking to find a good psychologist, you might have to, it's like dating, you know, like try if you want, find someone who resonates. You're really not even having the opportunity to kind of do the work by that time. So I would love to know, you know, I'm finishing my master's in public health. If there's anything that you think could be done or you would like to see in terms of how we're approaching mental health as a healthcare system, as well as what you recommend for people who just truly are at that place where they feel they can't afford a psychologist. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, there's so much nuance to that, Callie, in regards to like the pricing, right, and insurance companies um, and whatnot. And uh, I've been like doing some research in regards to like, okay, why is counseling and therapy like this much? Why why do we charge this, right? But then also at the same time, why does insurance companies only give certain individuals or like three hundred bucks? That's like that's a one like one and a half session uh, here uh, in Alberta, right? Um, so there's arguments back and forth in regards to all this. So the reason behind the pricing, let's say, uh, is because we've spent, let's say, countless hours in education, right? Um, And holding this space, right? Um, We don't know what we're going to get in terms of the client in front of us, right? Whether it just be, whether it be relationship issues, extreme, like major depression, anxiety, suicidality, right? And so when I see a client and we're working with suicidality and major depression, right? And I work with some of these individuals for like the last two years and you see the significant growth from wanting to kill themselves every single day to now where, you know, they have a job, they they have working full time, right? It's like 
mental health is priceless at that point. It's like, holy crap, right? Um, and so there's that. That kind of brings it into effect. The training, the uh, the fees for licensing um, and private practice, whatever you want to call it, right? And at the same time, on the other side, like with insurance companies, some of the arguments are that, you know, mental health is not being seen uh, as, as a priority in insurance companies. And so they only throw a couple hundred dollars um, for um, insurance and benefits in regards to therapy. Whereas, you know, they're making a lot of uh, money. And so why not put some of those resources into a higher um, cost or into that benefit allocation, right? For therapy, at least give them like 10, 8, 10, 12 sessions worth, right? As opposed to the 300 that you're getting, unfortunately, um, Khaled. So there's, there's just so many layers to this, right? Um, so, yeah. Well, and I have to say, I agree. It is priceless. And just as we wouldn't put, you know, a price cap on physical health and, you know, it takes whatever it takes to be healthy and be well. I think it's a matter of public health and, you know, free healthcare, bringing <laughs> mental health under that umbrella. And, you yeah. know, for insurance companies, I mean, as I'm sure, you know, as well as anybody, probably better than me, if you're taking adequate care of your mental health, you're taking better care of your physical health and avoiding chronic disease and medications and, you know, all of these other expenses, loss of productivity, labor costs, all of these things that come from mental health. So I think it's a matter of the upstream investment in mental health. And if mm-hmm. we made that shift, you know, we would see downstream how much money is saved you know, provincially and nationally and beyond, because I think it's happening in other places. We're just slower to it. And, you know, especially in the prairies, I do think that there seems to be still, you know, as you said, more conservative approaches and just a little bit more resistance and stigma to it. So do you have any recommendations for someone who is struggling and feels like they need support and can't afford it? Oh, that's a, I there, there, there's a lot there, uh, Callie. So um, in regards to that, there's always an option for sliding scale programs, right? Like, I don't know if you were like the sliding scale. It's like <clears throat> these individuals, these therapists or psychologists, and I also offer sliding scale. It's essentially um, meeting them where they can, right? It's like you um, do uh, a dive in regards to like their, their, um, their financials, right, and seeing what they could potentially afford, right, and go from there, right. So, uh, seeking help with a psychologist or a therapist that provides sliding scale. Um, you could do that through like Psychology Today or whatever other um, website uh, booking or directory system you want to go with, right. So there's that. Um, at the same time, there is, I'd say, social engagement, right. Um, uh, it's so hard to face depression and anxiety um, in, in and itself, right? And when this happens, there's a lot of isolation, alienation, right? But can we buffer that? Can we uh, work with, you know, some of that healing, but also engaging with our family around us or our friends around us, right? So social engagement, I think, is key, right? Um, the other things uh, that I like to recommend to clients in regards to when we work with major depression or anxiety is do they have like certain require not requirements components of mental health down 
I like to kind of assess, hey, are you getting like, you know, eight hours of sleep, right? Can we work on some of these small things first? These small things that are quite foundational for mental health and uh, emotional regulation. So eight hours of sleep, uh, just a check-in with your nutrition. It doesn't have to be strict micro or macro and micronutrient um, um, uh, like logs, right? But can we kind of just assess some of that, right? Are you eating somewhat relatively healthy, right? Um, the other things is vitamin D exposure. Are you getting like 20 minutes of vitamin D during the day? And how about some physical activity? 20 minutes um, outside or inside any type of intentional type of effort, right? Can you be doing those things uh, and kind of working and manipulating some of that heart rate variability? So those tend to be like four things that I preach uh, in my counseling and my therapy, right? Is can we kind of hit at least some of these foundations down, right? And so for the people that can't afford, right, uh, or maybe are a bit fearful, fearful or reluctant to go into therapy right now, you know, kind of explore and analyze and examine some of these four things. Um, wow. And then also the social engagement aspect. So incredible advice. I think that's so helpful. And, you know, bridging that gap between mental and physical health, which I'm so happy to hear because I feel like it's coming slowly, you know, like those two camps are yeah. coming together, but it's still really segregated and likely, you know, more so coming together with some of the younger practitioners, such as yourself. You know, I think um, so much of this is about the the world in which you are educated on, because if you were, you know, educated 50 years ago, when you started practicing, you're going to have a much different uh, you know, approach, not that I assume no one's updating their, you know, education, mm -hmm. but yeah. I think it's just different. And you see it in physicians, sure. psychologists. So, okay. Thank you so much. I feel like you've given us, well, us collectively as listeners, also me personally, I wrote a few notes down and I'm like, hmm, maybe I could feel a little bit more process oriented, <laughs> less goal oriented. Uh -huh. For I'll sure. Help reflect on. So I want to let you get out of here, but I have a few quick rapid fire questions. I always like to okay. leave people with, um, the sure. first thing, who is your biggest role model? If you consider yourself as having one. Oh man, <clears throat> my biggest role model. Uh, the, it can't just be like two or three people. It has to yes, be you can. I don't want you to pick favorites. <laughs> That's fine. Give okay. Us I'm going to name, uh, I'll name four. Okay, oh. uh, so it's going to be uh, my girlfriend, Lizelle, right? And uh, my mom, uh, one of my best friends, uh, Wade LaValle, uh, and uh, my little brother, uh, Daniel. So, yeah. Awesome. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Best advice you've ever received? I think, honestly, I, I'm really trying to hit it with the self-compassion. So definitely the self-compassion piece. Um Callie, just being kinder to yourself. Yeah. And we all need that reminder. Okay. I'm excited yeah. for this one because you said you're a big personal development person. Uh, uh, best book or resource that you'd recommend to people? Okay. Uh, recently, the two books that come to mind are Atlas of the Heart by Brené Brown um, and Body Keeps the Score uh, by Bessel van der folk i think his name is yes i literally had that book beside my bed in canada <laughs> before i left here uh great ones and yeah. personal personal mantra or words you live by you may have already shared them with us but if you want to repeat them mm -hmm. for me it's just acting with uh integrity uh and um purpose right so yeah those things 
And last but not least, for everyone who wants to follow along, be able to get your future resources that you're going to be sharing. Where can they find you? Yeah, for sure. Um, so on my Instagram, Tison uh, Psychology, my last name is spelled S-I-S-O-N, and then just psychology. Uh, and I'll make sure to highlight and promote that page a lot more, especially by providing you know some free education uh, on that platform. So thank you. Thank you. And I mean, thank you for what you've already provided us. It truly is priceless, as is your time. Of course. And I would love to have you back again soon. Thank you so much. Thanks, Callie. Have a good one. That's all the time we have together this week. Thank you so much for being here with Angelo and I. You can find more from me on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at KY Wellness. More details about all episodes can be found at kywellness.ca under the podcast tab. Don't forget to move your body, nourish your body, be kind to yourself, be kind to others. See you next week and keep yourself well.